Section 21 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 21, Book 24, Chapters 91 to 120. Chapter 91, 16. Different opinions on the Dracontium. It is Egypt more particularly that produces the clematis known as the Aron, of which we have already made some mention when speaking of the bolts. Respecting this plant and the Dracontium, there have been considerable differences of opinion. Some writers indeed have maintained that they are identical, and Glaucius has made the only distinction between them in reference to the place of their growth, assuming that the Dracontium is nothing else than the Aron in a wild state. Some persons again have called the root Aron and the stem of the plant Dracontium, but if the Dracontium is the same as the one known to us as the Draconculus, it is a different plant altogether, for while the Aron has a broad, black, rounded root and considerably larger, large enough indeed to fill the hand, the Draconculus has a reddish root of a serpentine form, to which, in fact, it owes its name. Chapter 92. The Aron. Thirteen Remedies. The Greeks themselves, in fact, have established an immense difference between these two plants in attributing to the seed of the Draconculus certain hot, pungent properties and a fetid odour so remarkably powerful as to be productive of abortion, while upon the Aron, on the other hand, they have bestowed marvellous encomiums. As an article of food, however, they give the preference to the female plant, the male plant being of a harder nature and more difficult to cook. It carries off, they say, all vicious humours from the chest and powdered and taken in the form of either a potion or of an electuary. It acts as a diuretic and an amenagogue. Powdered and taken in oxymel, it is good for the stomach, and we find it stated that it is administered in ewe's milk for ulcerations of the intestines, and is sometimes cooked on hot ashes and given in oil for a cough. Some persons, again, are in the habit of boiling it in milk and administering the decoction and it has been used also in a boiled state as a topical application for defluxions of the eyes, contusions, and affections of the tonsillary glands. Redacted section. Prescribes it with oil as an ejection for piles, and recommends it as a liniment with honey for freckles. Cleophantus has greatly extolled this plant as an antidote for poisons, and for the treatment of pleurisy and perineumony, prepared the same way as for coughs. The seed, too, pounded with olive oil or oil of roses, is used as an injection for pains in the ears. Diuchis prescribes it, mixed in bread with meal, for the cure of coughs, asthma, hardness of breathing, and purulent expectorations. Diodotus recommends it, in combination with honey, as an electory for phthisis and diseases of the lungs, and as a topical application even for fractured bones. Applied to the sexual parts, it facilitates delivery in all kinds of animals, and the juice extracted from the root, in combination with attic honey, disperses films upon the eyes and diseases of the stomach. A decoction of it with honey is curative of cough, and the juice is a marvellous remedy for ulcers of every description, whether phasogenic, carcinomatous, or serpigenous, and for polypus of the nostrils. The leaves, spoiled in wine and oil, are good for burns, and taken with salt and vinegar are strongly purgative. Boiled with honey, they are useful also for sprains, and used either fresh or dried with salt for gout in the joints. Hippocrates has prescribed the leaves, either fresh or dried with honey, as a topical application for abscesses. Two drachmae of the seed or root in two scythi of wine 
are a sufficient dose to act as an amenagogue, and a similar quantity will have the effect of bringing away the afterbirth in cases where it is retarded. Hippocrates used to apply the root also for the purpose. They say too that in times of pestilence the employment of aron as an article of food is very beneficial. It dispels the fumes of wine, and the smoke of it burns drives away serpents, the asthma in particular, or else stupefies them to such a degree as to reduce them to a state of torpor. These reptiles also will fly at the approach of persons whose bodies have been rubbed with the preparation of aron with oil of laurel. Hence, it is generally thought a good plan to administer it in red wine to persons who have been stung by serpents. Cheese, it is said, keeps remarkably well, wrapped in leaves of this plant. Chapter 93 The Dracunculus Two Remedies The plant which I have spoken of as the Dracunculus is taken out of the ground just when the barley is ripening, and at the moon's increase. It is quite sufficient to have this plant about one to be safe from all serpents, and it is said that an infusion of the larger kind taken in drink is very useful for persons who have been stung by those reptiles. It is stated also that it arrests the catamenio when in excess, due care being taken not to let iron touch it. The juice of it too is very useful for pains in the ears. As to the plant known to the Greeks by the name of draconchin, I have had it pointed out to me under three different forms, the first having the leaves of the beet with a certain proportion of stem, and a purple flower, and bearing strong resemblance to the aron. Other persons again have described it as a plant with a long root, embossed to all appearance and full of knots, and consisting of three stems in all. The same parties have recommended a decoction of the leaves in vinegar, as curative of stings inflicted by serpents. The third plant that has been pointed out to me has a leaf larger than that of the cornel, and a root resembling that of the reed. This root, I have been assured, has as many knots on it as the plant is years old, the leaves too being as many in number. The plant is recommended also for the stings of serpents, administered either in wine or in water. Chapter 94. The Arisaros. Three Remedies. There is the plant also called the Arisaros, which grows in Egypt, and is similar to the Aron in appearance, only that it is more diminutive and has smaller leaves. The root too is smaller, though fully as large as a good-sized olive. The white Arisaros throws out two stems, the other kind only one. They are curative, both of them, of running ulcers and burns, and are used as an injection for fistulas. The leaves, boiled in water, and then beaten up with the addition of oil of roses, arrest the growth of corrosive ulcers. But there is one very marvellous fact connected with this plant that is quite sufficient to touch the sexual parts of any female animal with it to cause its instantaneous death. Chapter 95. The Millifolium, or Myriphylon, Seven Remedies. The Myriphylon, by our people known as the millifolium, has a tender stem, somewhat similar to fennel giant in appearance, with vast number of leaves, to which circumstance it is indebted for its name. It grows in marshy localities, and is remarkably useful for the treatment of wounds. It is taken in vinegar, first strangury, affections of the bladder, asthma, and falls with violence. It is extremely efficacious also for toothache. In Etruria, the same name is given to a small meadow plant provided with leaves at the sides, like hairs, and particularly useful for wounds. The people of that country say that, applied with axle grease, it will knit together and unite the tendons of oxen when they have been accidentally severed by the plowshare. Chapter 96. The Pseudobunion. Four Remedies. The Pseudobunion has the leaves of the turnip and grows in a shrub-like form, about a palm in height, the most esteemed being that of Crete. For gripings of the bowels, strangury, and pains of the thoracic organs, some five or six sprigs of it are administered in drink. 
chapter 97. The Myris, Miriza, or Myra, Seven Remedies. The Myris, also known as the Myriza, or Myra, bears a strong resemblance to hemlock in the stem, leaves, and blossom, only that it is smaller and more slender. It is by no means unpleasant to the palate. Taken with wine, it acts as an amenagogue and facilitates parturition. They say, too, that in times of pestilence, it is very wholesome taken in drink. It is very useful also for phthysis, administered in broth. It sharpens the appetite and neutralises the venom of the phalangium. The juice of this plant, after it has been macerated some three days in water, is curative of ulcers of the face and head. Chapter 98. The Onobrichus. Three Remedies. The Onobrichus has leaves like that of the lentil, only somewhat longer. The blossom is red and the root small and slender. It is found growing in the vicinity of springs. Dried and reduced to powder and sprinkled in white wine, it is curative of strangury and arrests looseness of the bowels. The juice of it, used as a friction with oil, acts as a sudorific. Chapter 99. 17. Coracester and Calica. While I am treating of plants of a marvellous nature, I am induced to make some mention of certain magical plants, for what, in fact, can there be more marvellous than they? The first who discounted upon this subject in our part of the world were Pythagoras and Democritus, who have adopted the accounts given by the Magi. Coracester and Calica, according to Pythagoras, are plants which congeal water. I find no mention made of them, however, by any other author, and he himself gives no further particulars relative to them. Chapter 100. The Mincas or Corinthia. One remedy. Pythagoras gives the name of Mincas too, or Corinthia, to another plant, a decoction of which, used as a fermentation, will effect an instantaneous cure of stings inflicted by serpents, according to him. He adds, too, that if this decoction is poured upon the grass and a person happens to tread upon it, or if the body should chance to be sprinkled with it, the result is fatal beyond all remedy. So monstrous malignant are the venomous properties of this plant, except as neutralising other kinds of poison. Chapter 101. The Aproxis. Six Remedies. Pythagoras makes mention, too, of a plant called Aproxis, the root of which takes fire at a distance, like anther, of which we have made some mention, when speaking of the marvellous productions of the earth. He says, too, that if the human body happens to be attacked by any disease while the cabbage is in blossom, the person, although he may have been perfectly cured, will be sensible of a recurrence of the symptoms every time that plant comes into blossom, a peculiarity which he attributes to it in common with wheat, hemlock, and the violet. I am not ignorant, however, that the work of his from which I have just quoted is ascribed to the physician Climporus by some, though antiquity and the unbroken current of tradition concur in claiming it for Pythagoras. It is quite enough, however, to say in favour of a book that the author has deemed the results of his labours worthy to be published under the name of so great a man. And yet who can believe that Climporus would do this, seeing that he has not hesitated to publish other works under his own name? Chapter 102 the Aglophotis or Marmoritis, the Achaemenis or Hippophobus, the Theobrotion or Semnion, the Adamantis, the Arianis, the Therionarca, the Ethiopis or Merois, the Ophiusa, the Thalassegle or Potamalgis, the Theangelis, the Galotophilus, the Hestiatoris or Protomedia, the Cassignetis or Dionysonymphus, the Helianthus or Heliocalis, Hemiseus, the Aishinomene, the Crocus, the Enotheris, the Anacampseros, 
As to Democritus, there can be no doubt that the work called Carimita belongs to him. How very much more marvellous, too, are the accounts given in this book by the philosopher who, next to Pythagoras, has acquired the most intimate knowledge of the learning of the Magi. According to him, the plant Agleophotis, which owes its name to the admiration in which its beauteous tints are held by man, is found growing among the marble quarries of Arabia, on the side of Persia, a circumstance which has given the additional name of Marmaritis. By means of this plant, he says, the Magi can summon the deities into their presence when they please. The Achamensis, he says, a plant the colour of amber and destitute of leaves, grows from the country of the Tradastili, an Indian race. The root of it, divided into lozenges and taken in wine in the daytime, torments the guilty to such a degree during the night by the various forms of avenging deities presented to the imagination as to extort from them a confession of their crimes. He gives it the name also of Hippophobus, it being an especial object of terror to mares. The Theobrosian is a plant found at a distance of thirty shoni from the river Chaosbes. It represents the varied tints of the peacock, and the odour of it is remarkably fine. The kings of Persia, he says, are in the habit of taking it in their food or drink, for all maladies of the body and derangement of the mind. It has the additional name of Semnion, from the use thus made of it by majesty. He next tells us of the Adamantis, a plant grown in Armenia and Cappadocia. Presented to a lion, he says, the beast will fall upon its back and drop its jaws. Its name originates in the fact that it is impossible to bruise it. The Arianus, he says, is found in the country of the Ariani. It is of a fiery colour and is gathered when the sun is in Leo. Wood rubbed with oil will take fire on coming in contact with this plant. The Therionarca, he tells us, grows in Cappadocia and in Mysia. It has the effect of striking wild beasts of all kinds with a torpor, which can only be dispelled by sprinkling them with the urine of the hyena. He speaks, too, of the Ethiopis, a plant which grows in Mero, for which reason it is also known as the Meroes. In leaf it resembles the lettuce, and taken with honeyed wine, it is very good for dropsy. The Opiusa, which is found in Elephantine, an island also of Ethiopia, is a plant of a livid colour and hideous to the sight. Taken by person in drink, he says, it inspires such a horror of serpents, which his imagination continually represents as menacing him, that he commits suicide at last. Hence it is that persons guilty of sacrilege are compelled to drink an infusion of it. Palm wine, he tells us, is the only thing that neutralises its effects. The Thala Sagal, he speaks of as being found on the banks of the river Indus, from which circumstance it is also known as the Patamalgus. Taken in drink, it produces a delirium which presents to the fancy visions of a most extraordinary nature. The Theangalis, he says, grows upon Mount Libanus in Syria, upon the chain of mountains called Dicte in Crete and at Babylon and Susa in Persis. An infusion of it in drink imparts power of divination to the Magi. The Gelotophilus, too, is a plant found in Bactriana and on the banks of the Borysthenes. Taken internally with myrrh and wine, all sorts of visionary forms present themselves and excite the most immoderate laughter, which can only be put to an end by taking kernels of the pine nut with pepper and honey in palm wine. The Hesiotaurus, he tells us, is a Persian plant so-called from its promotion of gaiety and good fellowship at carousals. Another name for it is Protomidea, because those who eat it will gain the highest place in the royal favour. The Casignetus, too, we learn, is so-called because it grows only among plants of its own kind, and is never found in company with any other. Another name given to it is Dionosinimbrus, from the circumstance of its being remarkably well adapted to the nature of wine. 
Helianthus is the name he gives to a plant found in the regions of Themisicra and the mountainous parts of maritime Cilicia, with leaves like those of myrtle. This plant is boiled up with lion's fat, saffron and palm wine being added. The magi, he tells us, and Persian monarchs are in the habit of anointing the body with a preparation to add to its graceful appearance. He states also that for this reason it has the additional name of Heliopallus. What the same author calls Hemesias has the singular virtue of ensuring the procreation of issue, both beautiful as well as good. It is not a plant, however, but a composition made of kernels of pine nuts, pounded with honey, myrrh, saffron and palm wine, to which theobrotium and milk are then added. He also recommends those who wish to become parents drink this mixture and says that females should take it immediately after conception and during pregnancy. If this is done, he says the infant will be sure to be endowed with the highest qualities, both in mind and body. In addition to what has here been stated, Democritus gives the various names by which all these plants are known to the Magi. Apollodorus, one of the followers of Democritus, has added to this list the herb Aishiomene, so called from the shrinking of its leaves at the approach of the hand, and another called Crocus, the touch of which is fatal to the phalangium. Cratius also speaks of the Senotheris, an infusion of which in wine sprinkled upon them has the effect of taming all kinds of animals, however wild. A celebrated grammarian who lived but very recently has described the Anacanceros, the very touch of which recalls former love, even though hatred should have succeeded in its place. It will be quite sufficient for the present to have said thus much in reference to the remarkable virtues attributed to certain plants by the Magi, as we shall have occasion to revert to this subject in a more appropriate place. Chapter 103, 18. The Erythea. Many authors have made mention of the Erythea, a plant which contains a kind of beetle in its hollow stem. This beetle is continually ascending the interior of the stalk, and is often descending while it emits a sound like the cry of a kid the circumstance to which the plant is indebted for its name. There is nothing in existence, they say, more beneficial to the voice. Chapter 104. The wool plant, one remedy. The lactoris, one remedy. The militaris, one remedy. The wool plant, given to sheep fasting, greatly increases the milk. The plant commonly called lactoris is equally well known. It is full of a milky juice, the taste of which produces vomiting. Some persons say that this is identical with while others say that it only resembles the plant known as militaris, from the fact that applied with oil, it will affect the cure within five days of any wounds that has been inflicted with iron. Chapter 105. The Stratiotes. Five Remedies. The Greeks speak in high terms also of the Stratiotes, though that is a plant which grows in Egypt only and during the inundations of the river Ninus. It is similar in appearance to the Izum, except that the leaves are larger. It is of a remarkably cooling nature, and applied with vinegar, it heals wounds as well as erysipelas and separations. Taken in drink with male frankincense, it is marvellously used for discharges of blood from the kidneys. Chapter 106, 19. A plant growing on the head of a statue, one remedy. It is asserted also that a plant growing on the head of a statue, gathered in the lapet of any one of the garments, and then attached with a red string to the neck, is an instantaneous cure for headache. Chapter 107. A plant growing on the banks of a river. One remedy. Any plant that is gathered before sunrise on the banks of a stream or river, due care being taken that no one sees it gathered, attached to the left arm without the patient knowing what it is, will cure a tertian fever, they say. Chapter 108. The herb called lingua. One remedy. There is a herb called lingua, 
which grows in the vicinity of fountains. The root of it, reduced to ashes and beaten up with hog's lard, a hog they say must have been black and barren, will cure alopecia, the head being rubbed with it in the sun. Chapter 109. Plants that take root in a sieve. One remedy. Plants that take root in a sieve that have been thrown in a hedgerow, if gathered and worn upon the person by a pregnant woman, will facilitate delivery. Chapter 110. Plants growing upon dunghills. One remedy. A plant that has been grown upon a dung heap in a field is a very efficacious remedy, taken in water for quinsy. Chapter 111. Plants that have been moistened with the urine of a dog. One remedy. A plant upon which a dog has watered, torn up by the roots and not touched with iron, is a very speedy cure for sprains. Chapter 112. The Rhodorum. Three Remedies. We have already made mention of the Rumpetinus when speaking of the vine-growing trees. Near the tree, when not accompanied by the vine, there grows a plant known to the gals as the Rhodorum. It has a knotted stem like the branch of a fig tree, and the leaves, which are very similar to those of the nettle, are white in the middle, though in process of time they become red all over. The blossom of it is of a silvery hue, beaten up with stale axle grease. Due care being taken not to touch it with iron, this plant is extremely useful for tumours, inflammations and gatherings. The patient, however, on being anointed with it, must spit three times on the right side. They say, too, that as a remedy, it is still more efficacious if three persons of three different nations rub the right side of the body with it. Chapter 113. The plant called Impia. Two remedies. The plant called Impia is white, resembling rosemary in appearance. It is clothed with leaves like a thyrsus and is terminated by a head from which a number of small branches protrude terminated, all of them, in a similar manner. It is this peculiar conformation that has procured for it the name of Impia, from the progeny thus surmounting the parent. Some persons, however, are of opinion that it is so called because no animal will touch it. Bruised between two stones, it yields an effervescent juice, which, in combination with wine and milk, is remarkably efficacious for quinsy. There is a marvellous property attributed to this plant, to the effect that persons who have once tasted it will never be attacked by quinsy, for which reason it is given to swine. Those among them, however, would refuse to take it will be sure to die of that disease. Some persons, too, are of opinion that if slips of it are put into a bird's nest, they will effectually prevent the young birds from choking themselves by eating too voraciously. Chapter 114. The plant called Venus's Comb. One remedy. For its resemblance to a comb, they give the name of Venus's Comb to a certain plant, the root of which, bruised with mallows, extracts all foreign substances from the human body. Chapter 115. The Exedum. A plant called Nosha. Two remedies. The plant called Exedum is curative of lethargy. The herbaceous plant called Nosha, which is used by couriers for dyeing leather, a bright cheerful colour, and known by them under various names, is curative of cancerous ulcers. I find it also stated that, taken in wine or an oxycrate, it is extremely efficacious for stings inflicted by scorpions. Chapter 116. The Philanthropos. One remedy. The Lapicanaria, two remedies. The Greeks wittily gave the name of philanthropies to a certain plant because it attaches itself to articles of dress. A chaplet made of this plant has the effect of relieving headaches. As to the plant known as the Lapicanaria, beaten up in wine with plantago and millifolium, it affects the cure of carcinomatous sores, the application being removed at the end of three days. Taken out of the ground without the aid of iron, and thrown into the wash or given to them in wine and milk, it cures diseases in swine. 
Some persons add, however, that the person as he takes it up must say, This is the plant Argamon, a remedy discovered by Minerva for such swine as shall taste thereof. Chapter 117. Tordelon or Sarion. Three Remedies. Tordelon is, according to some authorities, the seed of Sile, while according to others it is a distinct plant known also as Sarion. I find no particulars relative to it, except that it grows upon mountains and that the ashes of it taken in drink act as an amenagogue and facilitate expectoration. It is stated also that for this last purpose the root is even more efficacious than the stem, that the juice of it taken in doses of three oboli cures diseases of the kidneys, and that the root is used as an ingredient for emollient plasters. Chapter 118. Grayman. 17 Remedies. Grayman is, of all herbaceous productions, the most common. As it creeps along the ground, it throws out jointed stems, from the joints of which, as well as from the extremity of the stem, fresh roots are put forth every here and there. In all other parts of the world, the leaves of it are tapering and come to a point. But upon Mount Parnassus, they resemble the leaves of the ivy, the plant throwing out a greater number of stems than elsewhere, and bearing a blossom that is white and odoriferous. There is no vegetable production that is more grateful to beasts of burden than this, whether in a green state or whether dried and made into hay, in which last case it is sprinkled with water when given to them. It is said that on Mount Parnassus, a juice is extracted from it which is very abundant and of a sweet flavour. In other parts of the world, instead of this juice, a decoction of it is employed for closing wounds, an effect equally produced by the plant itself, which is beaten up for the purpose and attached to the part affected, thereby preventing inflammation. To the decoction, wine and honey are added, and in some cases frankincense, pepper and myrrh, in the proportion of one third of each ingredient, after which it is boiled again in a copper vessel, when required for toothache or defluxions of the eyes. A decoction of the roots in wine is curative of griping pains in the bowels, strangury and ulcerations of the bladder, and it disperses calculi. The seed is still more powerful as a diuretic, arrests looseness and vomiting, and is particularly useful for wounds inflicted by dragons. There are some authorities which give the following prescription for the cure of scrofulous sores and inflamed tumours. From one, two or three stems, as many as nine joints must be removed, which must then be wrapped in black wool with the grease in it. The party who gathers them must do so fasting, and must then go in the same state to the patient's house while he is from home. When the patient comes in, the other must say to him three times, I come fasting to bring a remedy to a fasting man, and must then attach the amulet to his person, repeating the same ceremony three consecutive days. The variety of this plant, which has seven joints, is considered a most excellent amulet for the cure of headache. For excruciating pains in the bladder, some recommended a coction of Grayman, boiled down in wine to one half, to be taken immediately after the bath. Chapter 119. Dactylos. Five Remedies. There are some authorities who mention three varieties of the pointed Grayman. That which has at the extremity five points of the utmost is called Dactylos. Twisting these points together, persons introduce them into the nostrils and then withdraw them, with the view of preventing hemorrhage. The second kind, which resembles Isine, is employed with axle grease for whitlows and hangnails, and for fleshy excretions upon the nails. This also is called dactylos because it is so useful as a remedy for diseases of the fingers. The third kind, which is also known as dactylos, is more diminutive, and is found growing upon walls or tiles. It has certain caustic properties and arrests the progress of cervigenous ulcers. By placing a wreath of raiment round the head, bleeding at the nose is stopped. 
In Babylonia, it is said, the grain in which grows by the wayside is fatal to camels. Chapter 120. Fenugreek or Sicilia. 31 Remedies. Nor is fenugreek held in less esteem. By some it is known as telis, by others as carfos, and by others again as bucaras, or zygoceras, the produce of it bearing some resemblance to horns. Among us it is known as Sicilia. The mode of sowing it we have already described on the appropriate occasion. Its properties are desiccative, emollient, and resolvent. A decoction of it is useful for many female maladies, indurations for instance, tumours, and contractions of the uterus. In all which cases it is employed as a fomentation or used for a sitting bath. It is serviceable also as an injection. It removes cutaneous eruptions on the face, and a decoction of it applied topically with nitre or vinegar cures diseases of the spleen or liver. In cases of difficult labour, Diocles recommends the seed pounded in doses of one acetabulum mixed with boiled musk. After taking one third of the mixture, the patient must use a warm bath, and then, while in the perspiration, she must take another third, and immediately after leaving the bath, the remainder of this, he says, will prove a most effectual means of obtaining relief. The same authority recommends fenugreek boiled with barley or linseed in hydromel as a pessary for violent pains in the uterus. He prescribes it also as an external application for the lower regions of the abdomen. He speaks also of treating leprous sores and freckles with a mixture composed of equal proportions of sulphur and meal of fenugreek, recommending it to be applied repeatedly in the course of the day, due care being taken not to rub the part affected. For the cure of leprosy, Theodorus prescribes a mixture of fenugreek and one-fourth part of clean nasturtium, the whole to be steeped in the strongest vinegar. Damion used to give a potion by way of amenagog, consisting of half an acetabulum of fenugreek seed in nine cyanthi of boiled must and water. There is no doubt, too, that a decoction of it is remarkably useful for diseases of the uterus and for ulcerations of the intestines, and that the seed is beneficial for affections of the joints and chest. Boiled with mallows and then taken in honeyed wine, fenugreek is extolled in the highest terms as serviceable for affections of the uterus and intestines. Indeed, the very stem that arises from the decoction may be productive of considerable benefit. A decoction, too, of fenugreek seed is a corrective of the rank odours of the armpits. Meal of fenugreek with wine and nitrous speedily removes ringworm and dandruff of the hair, and a decoction of it in hydromel with the addition of actual grease is used for the cure of diseases of the generative organs, inflamed tumours, imposthumes of the parotid glands, gout in the feet and hands, maladies of the joints, and denudations of the bones. Kneaded with vinegar, it affects the cure of sprains, and, boiled in oxymel only, it is used as a liniment for affections of the spleen. Kneaded with wine, it acts as a detergent upon cosumatous sores, after which, applied with honey, it effects a perfect cure. A pottage, too, is made of this meal, which is taken for alterations of the chest and chronic coughs. It is kept boiling a considerable time in order to remove the bitterness, after which honey is added. We shall now proceed to speak of the plants which have gained a higher degree of reputation. Summary Remedies, Narratives and Observations, 1176 Roman authors quoted C. Belgius, Pompeius Linnaeus, Sextius Niger, who wrote in Greek, Julius Bassus, who wrote in Greek, Antonius Castor, Cornelius Celsus. Foreign authors quoted Theophrastus, Apollodrus, Democritus, Orpheus, Pythagoras, Major, Menander, who wrote the Biocresta, Lycander, Homer, Mesiod, 
Nicias, Sophocles, Anaxelaus. Medical authors quoted Nesitheus, Callimachus, Phaseus the physician, Timaristus, Simus, Hippocrates, Chrysippus, Diocles, Ophelion, Heraclides, Hycesius, Dionysus, Apollodorus of Cetium, Apollodorus of Tarentum, Paraxagoras, Plistonicus, Medius, Diocius, Cleophantus, Philistian, Asclepiades, Critius, Petronius Didotus, Eolus, Aristratus, Diagoras, Andreas Musides, Epicharmus, Damian, Sosomenes, Plephonemus, Metrodorus, Solon, Lycus, Olympius of Thebes, Philinus, Pexacus, Micton, Glaucius, Xenocrates. End of section 21.